millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome along, it's the Full Throttle Podcast, the motorcycle racing podcast from Eurosport. It's Monday the 11th of October 2021, and that really can mean only one thing. It's a doubleheader again of the Bennett's British Superbike Finale at Brands Hatch, the final three races, and also three races, three critical races over in Argentina for the Motul FIM Superbike World Championship. Across those two championships, we have a total of 12 support categories. Some of them have already finished this year or been decided. Others are still very much alive. Others on the brink of being decided. And between us here today, Tristan Finocchiaro, Eurosport commentary colleague, and me, Greg Haynes, we're going to touch on every single one of those 12 categories. Tristan, first of all, it just makes you realise how much bike racing and how many riders and how many overtakes and how many laps we've had this year, doesn't it? 12 different categories. Yeah, absolutely. And like, it, it very much feel, feels like the end now, doesn't it? Only one round left of, of BSB and, and um, possibly a couple. We're waiting for that to be confirmed for World Superbike. Um, but still plenty of racing to do because there's plenty of titles to be decided um, and plenty of action to come as well. Even um, in a couple of classes where titles have been decided, a little bit more racing to go as well. So um, first weekend off for us for a while, but it's nice for us now. We can reflect on everything that's happened um, and have a quick breather before it all goes again next week. Right, I've worked this out. One hour divided by 12 categories is five minutes per category. So we'll probably give a bit more to some of them and a bit less to others. But let's kick it straight off. Let's stay close to home, shall we? First of all, BSB. Right, showdown time. And I have to say, I was doing a prediction for MCN this week, and it's probably the hardest prediction I've ever had to do. I really want to say Jason O'Halloran's going to win it, and that's who I've gone for for the MCN paper this week. Okay. But the other side of my head is saying, no, it's going to be Taron McKenzie. Uh, in a way, I'd feel so bad for Yamaha if they didn't win it after the season they've got. But then again, Eden's in there, Bridewell's in there, Buckingham and Hickman mathematically are still in there. It's the showdown, I guess, isn't it? That's what it's designed to do. 
Yeah, like you say, that's, that's what it's designed to do, and that's what um, it will do. You're going for for Jason, to be honest. I think I would go for go for Taron um, mm. if I had to make the decision. Yeah, I was because... going to go for Taron, and I changed my mind. I thought, oh no, I can't not go for Jason after the year he's had. I, I think Jason obviously deserves it, and I think in, um, he'll be a little bit um, disheartened by the yeah. fact, um, by the showdown, by the way it all works. Um, because he, at one point he was he had a really really big leader up to 120 points something like yeah. that at one point. Yeah. Um, so he would have been, you know, really, really um, sort of thinking that he had that in the bag. Um, but that's this what the showdown's designed for. It makes it exciting, gets spectators through the gates at Brands Hatch at the final round, and it always makes that final round really, really interesting. I mean, we think back to um, the finish between um, Tommy Hill and John Hopkins, and that's that's exactly the type of racing racing we want. And hopefully, we'll get another championship des- des- decided by. Um, and that that sort of amount of time on track. Yeah, and of course that was ten years ago this year, wasn't it? That yeah. was twenty eleven, and yeah. here we are in twenty one. That's gone quick, hasn't it? But um, ironically, it was a Yamaha rider's dominance in two thousand and nine, Leon Camier, that triggered the showdown for the next year. So how ironic would it be if Jason the Hatteran doesn't end up winning it? Um, okay, so looking at the situation, Brooks and Irwin, Glenn Irwin are obviously out of it. Hickman and Buchan really need to just win three races and hope for other things to happen, otherwise. It's not going to happen, is it? Let's be realistic. But 21 points between the top four. Mackenzie's got Halloran 10 behind, Eden 15 behind, and Bridewell 21 behind. And really, it could go any one of those four ways, couldn't it? Because you just don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be cold. It might be wet. Who knows what's going to happen? That's the thing as well. That that last round is always cold, wet, yes. miserable. Quite dark um, as well by that last race. Yeah, and, and can, can quite literally go any way. But... Um, I mean, like like I said earlier, I'd, I'd put my money on on Tarrant. He goes well around Brantach. I'm pretty sure, yeah, he picked up a win there earlier in the season and a couple of podiums. Um, it's always gone well around there, and um, he's on good form at the moment. It always seems to come good when the pressure's on. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. It can go anyway, of course, because Brands can catch people out when it's when it's a bit mixed conditions or, or bad conditions. There's a couple of corners really tricky to navigate in in the wet. Um, I'm thinking Graham Hill in particular. Um, always seek some sort of action or crashes mm. or big moments there. So, but I mean, it it could be dry all weekend. We don't know. No, we don't. And just looking at the standings with 21 points available for. Uh, sorry, 25 points available for a win. Any one of those top four can be in any one of those positions, couldn't they, even after the first race? So Tasmac, Jason, Iden, and Bridewell. I would not want to put money on that. I really would not want to put money on that. Although I would feel sorry for McCam Yamaha because they've been the team to beat, haven't they? Let's be honest. If they didn't win this title. But then again, this is what people say, isn't it? it... They have the Constructors' Championship, I think, though, haven't they? Yeah. So at least they got yeah. some... Yeah, but they want the riders, don't they? Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. They desperately want it. I'd feel sorry for Steve Rogers and all the guys there if they didn't get that. But that's the way the showdown works. Um, so go on. Who would you go for, Taz? If you had to put yeah. money on it. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'd, I'd put my money on Taz personally. All right. Well, I'm going to stick with Jason. I, I was going to write Taz the other day. And then at the last moment, I thought, no, I can't bring myself to do it. I'd need to put Jason <laughs> just because of the season he's had. Having said that, it's been a bit of an ordinary showdown with two non-scores from the six races so far. Okay, that's British Superbike. Let's move on. Let's pick another one. Let's do one of the BSB support categories. Let's go for... What do you fancy going for? Um, Which one's the most closely to be decided? Ooh, that is a very good question. Super sport's looking quite... Yeah, um, okay. ...open, isn't it? And it's the natural sort of step down. Yeah, let's go for British Supersport. 
Okay, so Jack Kennedy then has the advantage. It's a 34-point lead over Ben Curry, 54 back to Lee Johnston, which means Lee is out of it because there's only 50 points available. So realistically, very much realistically, it's Jack Kennedy's to lose. But we've seen before, haven't we, as we just said, things can change at Brands Hatch. Although what is interesting is that Ben Curry is actually yet to win a race this year. He's had uh, seven second places and two thirds. Just goes to show how consistency pays off, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, like you say, I mean, Brad Perry's been on been on fire all year on that on that Yamaha R6, and it's been, um, you know, he's been he's picked up, I think, about, he's picked up six wins this season, um, and he's looked really, really strong. But it's just a couple of DNFs, a couple of crashes, crashes that weren't sort of obviously weren't needed, but was just sort of a little bit too much, um, and a couple of unlucky DNFs as well. Um, and unfortunately, he's down in, in fourth in the championship. Hey, that's um, unbelievable, really, isn't it? Because it feels like he had, should be on the top of it. Yeah, he's, he's had as many wins as as, as Jack Kennedy. Um, just a few more DNFs. So Jack's had a few a few himself, in all fairness. Um, but yeah, that's really been, been Bradley's downfall. And I think, you know, to be honest, um, in terms of on-track talent, I think it's between... Jack and Jack and Brad, but in terms of the championship, it's between um, between Jack and Ben Curry. But Ben Curry's come in quite strong in the last few rounds. Has picked up, like I say, hasn't won a race this year, strangely, but it's picked up a lot of second places, um, and is always there or thereabouts. And it's consistency that wins the championship. We saw even in GP last year, Mia won the championship with only um, at one point only one win. Well, Brad Perry and Lee Johnston, if I'm not mistaken, had a collision, didn't they, coming out of the Melbourne Loop the other day, and they both went down. So they obviously lost more points there. I like Brad Peary, though, do you? He's a great character. Jack Bernickel's always said, Greg, uh, sometimes Jack sat in the commentary box and he's finishing Super Sport and I'm getting ready to come in. And he'll say, oh, Greg, uh, Brad Peary's a bit like you, isn't he? He's a bit like a nice version of you, Jack said once. <laughs> so thanks very much, Jack. But I do like him. He's a great character and he puts his absolutely, he rides from his heart, doesn't he, Brad Peary? That's what I like yeah. about him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's always been really, really, really bubbly. I've always, always had a really... Um, exuberant personality. Um, I, I, I've raced against him for for a few years back in sort of super teen days, um, and he was always towards the sharp end and that. And always, he'd always look forward to his interviews at the end of the day. It was almost <laughs> like a like a young and even more excitable guy, Martin. It would just sort of speak at two thousand mile an hour, and yeah. um, always great entertainment from him. And the interesting thing about him is he's got where he's got to, completely just racing him and his dad, them, and obviously a few helpers just putting the bikes together putting himself out on circuit um up until up until this year this is the first year he's actually raced in a team um and and it hasn't been him and his dad and and, uh, whatever it was a few helpers and sponsors um and this is the first time he's involved in a proper team and his first time we're properly seeing him at the shop i mean last year he was really impressive on on the um considering the outfit he was on and considering the team he was in just him and his dad um and it's interesting because it's brought him on quite a bit because now he, he sort of he, he must understand all the everything that goes on behind the scenes and he can he can respect that and now he's in that team it would will have been a big learning curve for him because he'll never have worked in a team like that before but um, one to watch for the future I think Brad is it a weird thing do you think for a rider when you come into a team like that and instead of you having to do things yourself on the bike you've got someone else who can do it for you and almost accepting that you can sit back and tell them what you need and they do the work for you. That must be a bit weird when you're used to getting stuck in yourself with a spanner. I'm the wrong person to ask for that because um, <laughs> both, both both myself and my dad have always been absolutely terrible um, with mechanic side of oh, stuff. Really? So from, um, from super team de- days, we've always sort of gotten someone else to do it because otherwise... 
I wouldn't have had a chance of being in the top 20 because um, we were oh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely useless. So we've always, um, it does unfortunately cost a, a little bit extra and you have to work yeah. that a little bit harder to find the sponsorship to get, uh, but it does also take a lot of time off your hands because you're, you're not organizing as many things. So you can use that time to look for more money and look for more sponsors and use that to fund your, to fund your ride. So I've always gone about it from a different perspective, just from the, the, the pure fact that I'm not capable of doing what, um, <laughs> what the Kiris did. Okay, well, while we're talking about you, then let's go on to one of the classes that you've raced in before. Let's see what happens. You have to think that's Kennedy's to win again, of course, this weekend, but let's see what Ben Curry can do. Let's move on to British Junior Supersport. Okay, so again, it's a two-horse race, Tristan, and really for Ash yep. Barnes, who on the Yamaha has now moved up to second place, he needs to pretty much win two races with Cam Dawson not scoring because it's a 43-point lead for Cameron Dawson. He has been, in my opinion, head and shoulders above the rest. You and I have both commentated on some of the races this year. Uh, he's had seven wins. Okay, he's had a couple of non-finishes at the last two rounds at Alton and Donington. But you have to feel, if Cam Dawson on that Kawasaki didn't win it this year, that's very unlucky because racecraft-wise, he has been the best, hasn't he? Let's be honest. Yeah, he's he's the only rider to pick up multiple wins this season. Um, well, or from a well, I think um, one of the other riders, I think Luke Rallins had um, has had three, um, but he's the only one to sort of get over five. I think he's had seven. Everyone else has had about one. Yeah. Uh, Luke Rallins had three. He's been so so consistent um, and so consistently better than everyone else. There hasn't really been anyone, to be honest, that can challenge him for pace outright consistently. Anyway. Um, it reminds me a bit of, of Elliot Pinson when he won it. He was just sort of set down a pace that no one could stick with. And the thing you get a lot in junior supersport as well is if you've got Dawson with a slight advantage who's pulling away, the riders behind don't do each other favours because they will just battle it out with each other and they will be losing more time and it will let Dawson get away even further. And that's what you always see in junior supersport. Yeah. Partly because that young instinct to want to just keep battling and, and going for it. Also because of the nature of the, the category with the slipstreaming and stuff like that. But, um, uh, and, you know, so they're very early in their careers as well. So there isn't, I mean, the one thing I noticed in junior supersport a lot when I, I moved from the World Supersport 300 down to the junior supersport, um, so the, the, the BSB version essentially was the, um, the difference in racecraft. There isn't quite, um, at that point in their careers, there isn't a <laughs> massive sort of but there isn't much racecraft at all no. tonight. it completely goes out the <laughs> window crazy um, moves at times aren't there i mean it's it's fun yeah. to commentate on but you, i am there sometimes thinking why i mean you tell me because you've been in that situation but you were one of the more sensible guys i remember people dive bombing up the side at the inside of you on the last lap naming no names and you both had a chance to win that race <laughs> at that point you know what i'm talking about yeah. and it took the chance away from both of you and i thought well that was a bit that was a bit silly, but it's easy for me to think that and say that. Yeah. Why don't they think it through? Is it because they are young and inexperienced or what? They're using this time, this time that you're using in, say, let's say, Junior Super Sport or British Talent Club, whatever it may be. Um, this 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 time that you're using in your career is times that you're using to learn from your mistakes. Mm. So you're seeing them all making the mistakes that they're going to be learning from in the future. <laughs> Whereas, you know, when they move, graduate to whatever it's going to be next, junior superstar, super sport, whatever there is in the future, they've got more experience and more of a wise head for the future because they've already made all those mistakes and learned from it, um, which is why you see that. And, you know, also it's it's the type of racing as well. It gets very hot and you tend to sort of 
lose track of what's going on because everything's happening so quickly. You've got someone trying to pass you. You're trying to pass someone else. There's a big group. You're five abreast down down the down the back straight, down the front straight, and it just sort of turns into. I need to just barge everyone out the way. Yeah. And then sometimes it just goes a little bit over the top because naturally you're trying to go about your race and then there's so much going on that you just need to keep reacting to it and then you know mistakes mistakes happen. But that's where someone like a Cam Dawson does stand out because he doesn't really do that, does he? He's been sensible. Like you said, we've had it in the past. Um, uh, Una McGlinchey won it, didn't he? And he, he stood out for me like that as well. He didn't do those silly things, which I guess... Yeah has to be a good thing for that guy because it makes you stand out in comparison with everyone else doesn't it yeah but in order to do that you need to have a slight edge pace wise right because if you're stuck in that group yeah and you've got a little bit of a mature head it actually can sort of hinder you in a way because um you're sort of trying to plan your race out and trying to think things methodically where at the same time the riders around you aren't doing that and Mm. it's just complete just sort of complete just maniac racing yeah and then your strategy or your thinking has gone completely wasted and you've ended up at the back of the group. Okay, well, let's jump up. Let's go across now because we're not doing this in any particular order, are we? To the World Superbike paddock and talk about the equivalent there, which is, of course, World Supersport 300. Right, before we get into the 300 class itself, I'm just going to quickly touch, Tris, on the uh, new Blue through uh, Blue Crew R3 Cup. Uh, Iker Garcia Abeya won it this year. Julian Giral was second, only four points behind. Fenton Seabright, our very own Fenton Seabright, who was the 2017 KTM RC Cup champion, finished third. He only missed it by 11 points. Went into the last round in Barcelona with a chance. He won more races than anyone else, Fenton, with five. In what has been... Um, sorry four races this year in what has been a very difficult year for the Seabright family with some big losses and it's been an incredible year I think from Frenton but uh, of course that cut class they can start from 12 years of age can't they which is quite scary in some ways yeah um it is I mean in in you know Spain and Italy we see them start young and that's that's how they get um you know to MotoGP at the age that Marquez did or the age that you know whoever Mia or whatever um and yeah, that does need to translate here, but also, you know, you've got to be a little bit careful with it as well. It is, it is quite a young age, um, like you say, but um, that, that's sort of the way racing has gone lately. Now, as a rider yourself, and you've raced in World Supersport 300 and Junior Supersport, very um, touchy subject, of course, this at the moment, but we can't ignore it. The, the safety aspect we've lost. The fact is we've lost three young riders this year in three horrendous accidents. Uh, one of them was Moto3. They've all happened in the junior categories as well, haven't they? One of them was Moto3. And of course, that was Jason Depaschia, the Swiss rider, 19 years of age. Then we had a European talent cup accident at Motorland Aragon for Hugo Milan, 14 years of age. And most recently, 15-year-old Dean Berta Vinales at Jerez in Spain. In all three of these accidents, they've all been young kids, teenagers. Um, and they've all been a rider getting involved in an incident, crashing, and then being run over awful situation and we need to be careful how we we tread here don't we but i think the first thing is without sounding callous these accidents could have happened anywhere couldn't they in the sense that someone's crashed and then they've either been trying to get off the track and been hit or they've been down and been hit it, it isn't something it is something that's always going to be there but it is something we can try and um sort of regulate and try and minimize um and i think in these these junior categories especially at the moment the the grids are massive which is brilliant it's brilliant to see loads of you know loads of 
new prospects and hot talents coming through in these big grids because if you know if you look at some of the grids a few years ago especially um what the junior world championship used to be when back when it was just sort of the spanish championship the grid was half of what it what it is now um and these grids are, are huge now we had in world super sport 370 riders and they had to split the um split the races up um and when there's so many bikes on circuit and so with such little power they're all trying to slipstream each other um it it's a lot easier to get hit by something um and it is some it is um sort of the nature of the racing in the class so it's it's really difficult one to control um but like we saw the other the other week in moto 3 or last weekend um in america with in moto 3 with um yeah. that massive crash yeah that was which really was frightening really really scary um and it's something that um you know this sort of tactic of slipstreaming and weaving to try and get out of the slipstream or to sort of push someone over to, to force them to, to roll off a little bit is something that happens and it is something that comes along with this type of racing. Um, but I think it's something that needs to be monitored because um, we saw um, Dennis Onshu who, who made that move um, and came across on, uh, it was Alcobra, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, that's something that it wasn't a massive, he did, if you watch it, he didn't come across him massively. It wasn't a big weave or anything. No, it wasn't like it I'm is... deliberately going to move across and wipe you out. That definitely no. wasn't the case, was it? No, but he knew he was there. You definitely know you're, you're aware that you're coming across someone yeah. at a certain speed and you know that their rear wheel, their front wheel is going to be, is going to be there or thereabouts. And when I'm doing that, I'm sort of, you, when every rider is doing that, you're sort of thinking about your peripheral and you're thinking there's going to be someone more or less there. I'm going to sort of try and assert my dominance, but you're not going to just come across the front of someone. Do you know what I mean? Cause it also could end your race as well. Cause you might end up crashing out as well. Yeah. Um, it is something that needs to be monitored and I'm, I'm sort of, um, it was a mistake from, from Monchi. Obviously he didn't, didn't mean to do it. It's not something that you do on purpose, but I'm glad in a way that he's received a two, um, a two meeting two a ban from the next two grand prix. Um, nothing against him just for the pure fact that these things need to be, punished so that it does so you do think twice about weaving or on um down the down the down a back straight you, you see it at aragon in the 300s you see it in the motor yeah. three as well you'll see the whole train coming yeah, down the and snake. then they all move yeah. to one side they all move to the other side for me that needs to stop it's a very very difficult one here and we need to be careful what we say although i will say this and i don't want to sound like mr hindsight but all year long james whittam and i have been saying in a podcast there's going to be a bad accident here if we're not careful. And in a way, it's disappointing that this two-race ban for Dennis and Jews only happened now. Because I, I, I could be wrong, Tris, but in the back of my mind, I kind of feel that had had we not had the awful tragedy that we did have in Jerez, I don't know whether he would have received a two-race ban. I could be wrong. But it's just a shame in some ways that they didn't start clamping down on this before that tragedy happened. It was almost as though it was going to take a tragedy to happen. And again, I'm not just saying this now, you know, we've said it, it's on record on the podcast earlier in the year. Then again, now it's happened, it has happened. We can't go back, unfortunately. What do they do though about this? How does this look from the, from the sports point of view, from the outside, when you've got the Sun, the Daily Mail, Sky News, and all these various other outlets reporting that a 14-year-old or 15-year-old child has died? For the general image of the sport, that doesn't look great, does it? And I wonder how they're going to tackle this moving forward are they going to increase the minimum ages do you think they should i mean mm. does it really make much of a difference if they're starting at 18 instead of 12 or 13 the problem is mm. of course all these talent cups they'd be rendered sort of useless wouldn't they then and i just don't know from a commercial point of view whether they they would change that now well i think riders have have 
and and in all forms of motorsport people have started young that's always been the case that's mm. not something that's mm. new that's true um, that's true to be honest just now we have more of a platform to be able to watch it and be able to see it mm. um yeah but it, it, they've, we've always started i mean they started in the mini bike championships from from as from as young as five or six years old on mini motos so they're always going to find something that they can do at that age i don't really think um we can do much i think it, that it in sport in general you start young um and you retire young for a you know yes. for a retirement sort of um it's just the way it is because you know it's the way that obviously you know you need to be there at the prime uh, you know at the prime age where you where you sort of um your body is at its fittest fittest and um and that's just that's just the way sport is so i think from that perspective there's not much really um i think we just need to make sure the racing for these riders is safer um Perhaps I, mean, I, th- I think I heard I can't remember who it was was saying something about perhaps you know if you make these bikes faster then you don't have that slipstream slipstreaming sort of racing but then if you're making bikes faster for twelve year olds are giving them more power when they're only you know so young um, can they control that much power um, so there, there's there's an argument to be made there I, I would hate personally I would hate to be um, at the moment um, someone who has to to look at these things um, and the Mm. um you know the the pioneers of the sport because um it's a really difficult decision to make because you have to balance keeping the sport what it is because if you just that you, you can go completely one way and just clamp down on absolutely everything and be extremely strict yeah with passing and with with absolutely everything um and then essentially ruin the sport um because that is that is a danger that that, that, that there can be um i mean we've seen a you know a few instances um, over the years that we've thought everyone's thought is slightly over the top mainly tr- track limits and stuff like that but it it goes in general in all sort of rules in general if you're massively clamping down it's not it's not that's not the sport anymore but at the same time um you know perhaps it 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 might have taken us you know three young deaths this year to realize that things do need to change in that respect as well and i think it's just just small things just like that um like the the weaving and the slipstream and um the other day in in Portimao when they red flagged the session because um all the riders were cruising on the on the racing line and there's a lot of bikes out on circuit and if there's even just one going slower than um going slower than race pace it can cause it can cause, cause an incident i had it myself earlier in the year where there were 60 bikes on circuit at Donington, um, there was constant traffic and I ended up someone cruising on the racing line. I ended up in the back of them. I ended up breaking my leg and the, the meeting before that someone was cruising on the racing line and I ended up with concussion. It's something that needs to be thought about. Yeah. And like you say, at the end of the day, and this does sound a bit callous, but it's an extremely dangerous sport, isn't it? Motor racing mm-hmm. and motorcycle racing in particular, it always has been, always will be. I also would add that I think it has just also been the most terrible of coincidences that we've had so many bad accidents in one year. The Brad Jones crash at Brands Hatch, the uh, a Marshall being killed at Brands Hatch in that car racing incident the w- a week or so after that. Um, young Cedric Blosh was hurt at Snetterton and there's a GoFundMe mm-hmm. page up um, after he suffered life-changing injuries. Um, and of course, the three losses we've already said. You also can't help thinking in some ways it's the most horrendous of of coincidences because nothing really significantly has changed it's not like we have new tires or many more bikes or the circuits are different or the bikes the rules have changed 
So in some ways, it just seems like it's been a really horrendous run for one reason or another. Yeah, I, I mean, it's been a terrible year, hasn't it? We also had had Brad Brad Jones with his with his massive incident earlier in the year as well. Um, luckily, he's um, going through um, recovery quite well at the moment, which is brilliant to see. Alessandro Valente yeah. in junior supersport had a really yeah, nasty accident yeah. at Donington. Yeah. Which was something that you you can't you can never with that sort of crash that was um, he'd uh, stalled or was out of gear something on the on for some for one reason or another he couldn't get away off of the line mm-hmm. off of the grid um, pretty much the whole field had gone past him and unfortunately he got collected um, a, a rider that unsighted didn't see him um, went straight into the back it was Chloe Jones I believe it was went yes. straight into the back of him it was Chloe um, yeah. I saw it from the outside. I was in one of the um, in the media center at Donington Park. I saw it out the window, live happening. It was it was a horrible incident. But that is something, unfortunately, that happens every now and then that we can't actually really do much about because it, it's it's not the norm. And there's always going to be those bikes on the grid. Every now and then, one of the bikes stalls or there's an issue or something, and unfortunately, that happens. Well, Supersport, um, Valentin de Beast accidentally switched his bike off on the line at Magny Court, the start of a warm-up lap, and the last guy to pass him was Vincent Falcone, another Frenchman, and he, de Beast went to move, and he dodged him at the same time, and they banged helmets. It was horrible. It was an absolute miracle we didn't have a, a worse outcome there, but really? these things sadly it's... can happen. Yeah, and it's um, it's always that last rider or one of the last riders that hits because they're unsighted and they're looking yeah. forward. Um, and it's always that one of the last, and they're always the ones that come quick because they've come from further back and they've built up more speed. Um, and yeah, that th- those are always horrible incidents yeah. to see. Yeah, they are because there's no if someone's dead still and then then they get hit. That's almost like walking out into the middle of a motorway, isn't it? It's pretty horrendous. Yeah, it's, and it's it's no one's fault as well. No. It's not it, not that that makes a difference, but mm. it, it's. It's yeah, it's not, not nice to see. But in the 300 class itself, and obviously we we, we bear in mind these guys we've lost because it's been a dreadful year. And let's just hope we have a safe end to the season now. But I wouldn't be surprised if there are some kind of change for next year. I don't know what it might be. With I mean, you could reduce the field. The the problem is though, you could have somebody getting run over with even two or three bikes on the track, couldn't you? That's the thing. Although I would just say, I suppose let's be honest, there is more chance of being here if there's more riders in a group. That's the that's the problem you got there, isn't it? But Adrian Wertas has dominated the Supersport 300 series this year. 66 points on paper. It was closer than that in reality, but Tom Booth Amos got hurt and had to miss a few races. Wertas, he can be so aggressive when he needs to be, but I think the best man probably did win in the end. His racecraft seemed to be head and shoulders above, not head and shoulders above Tom Booth Amos, because I don't think that's fair on Tom because Tom had a really good year this year. But Wertas yeah. just seemed to have that extra aggression, and I'm not saying that's right, because I think some of his moves have been too hard. You know, he's moved across on TBA, for example, at Magni Corps. That was unacceptable, in my opinion, and probably was warranting a penalty. Um, and Tom Boothamos has been extremely unlucky getting wiped out a couple of times. But Wertas is good, isn't he? And he does think he's racist, or you could see him going on to do great things, actually. Yeah, it, he he's looked really strong this year. But personally, I was sort of gutted for for um, Tom Boothamos because I think he's put in a, a brilliant year and has had and has had some real bad luck this year as well. Very. I think it has to be said. Yeah, very. Um, but I mean, I, it, it bodes well for next year. I'm uh, I'm not sure if he's made any announcements for next year, but I'm, I'm I would assume that he's probably going to stay in Supersport 300 again. I don't know. I mean, it, I think he wants to get up onto a 600, and there was a rumor about Oralak Kawasaki, uh, some sort of Kawasaki 600 okay. ride. So that but would be good he, for Tom he's, if he's he can done get it before. that. Yeah. Yeah, in BSB, he's he's, he's running. Um, yes, Junior Superstock, which was then Superstock 600, and I'm pretty sure possibly Supersport as well, but definitely Superstock. So he's, he's ridden 600s before, um, 
But we were talking a little bit off air, Greg, that this jump from 300s to 600s can be such a big jump. It's not as seamless as we see the Moto3 riders jumping to Moto2. This from the Supersport 300 Championship to the World Supersport with on the 600cc machines is a really difficult jump. And yeah. Manuel Gonzalez is probably one of the best ones that have that has made the jump, and Luca Bernardi as well. Yeah. But those guys have spent a full winter's full seasons of training non-stop on these 600 machines um riding them on karting circuits to try and get used to them it's a it's a transition that takes so much work unai aradra has done a decent job as well because he was racing a 600 mm. in the spanish championship this year but yeah for sure the standout performers are obviously bernardi and and even more so manu gonzalez yeah. Um, but they have to do that. They have to yeah. run that that little bit of time on a 600 whilst they're running the 300 to be able to move up, which isn't something you really see in the GP paddock when they move from Moto3 to Moto2. True, true. And also another thing, going into the MotoGP paddock, they've already done a full season, at least one, in the CEV Moto3 Junior World Championship on more advanced Moto3 bikes than in the World Championship because they use that as a testing bed, don't they? And the mm. the the regulations aren't so stringent. So they actually, they already know the bike like the back of their hand. No wonder they're already on the pace as soon as they get to Qatar. In Moto it's Three, a formula that works, yeah, isn't it? It is. What about Jeffrey Baus? He's actually racing this weekend with Pachetti in yes. World Supersport in Argentina. I hope he goes well. I really do. We need him to go well for the good of the system. I mean, we know the system's working already with the guys we just mentioned, but that's great that Jeffrey's got a ride because there is no automatic promotion. You can tell us, Tris, how difficult is it to fund a ride and find sponsors? And this is a bit of an issue at the moment, isn't it? Because there's so many good riders who disappear off the face of the earth. Not because they didn't have the talent, but because they didn't have the money, quite frankly. It, it yeah. doesn't seem right. But in some ways, it's kind of always been like that, really. You say that, but I think over the past 10 years, I, mean, I was I, um, I was speaking to Gino Rea, who used to race in Supersport. Yeah. Um, and he was saying from the time he started in Supersport to the time he left, it changed completely. So ever since the sort of um, the credit crunch sort of sort of time, um, everything, you know, bonuses started going down there was less money and involvement from manufacturers now bear in mind as well we gino's from... done european superstock 600 where he won it and he's done the moto 3 world championship and very nearly won a grand prix i remember in the rain in malaysia so that's interesting though yeah and even fabrizio fabrizio and malandri both said when they came back to the paddock that it's completely not the paddock they remember at all and the situation is completely different where um pretty much every rider in sort of Definitely in, in Supersport 300, most of the 99% of the field um, and in, super, in World Supersport as well, they're paying a lot of money to be there. And for World Supersport, you're looking at around from 100 to 250,000 euros. Um, when I was in Supersport 300, um, it was about 65,000 euros for the year. That's just for the team without your accommodation expenses, without your traveling expenses, without anything like that. It's about 65,000 euros back then. I think it's, a, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think it's got more expensive. I've heard that, um, figures of around 90,000, even for super sport 300. Um, Crazy money, isn't it? Let's just bring ourselves back to earth for a second. Cause we're banding these numbers around. That's ridiculous. Isn't it? When you think about it, anyone who's got a, yeah. a normal job and then you put that into perspective, that's crazy. And what about the Moto3 Junior World Championship? Emilio Althamora's team, Mon Lau, Australia Galicia. I've heard even like 400,000 euros yeah. from Moto3 yeah. Junior World Championship ride. Yeah. Now, surely I'm someone's a... got to stop here and say, what the hell is going on? Because that's ridiculous. I'm... I won't say the team, but um, I mean, I was offered a ride in the Junior World Championship for like a wildcard ride for the last three rounds, I believe it was. So just just three races of the season. Yeah, and, in the Moto3 um, Junior World Championship. Junior World Championship um, with a decently established team. 
um, and they were they were asking for seventy thousand euros just for three for three races. That's just incredible, isn't it? Which is you know triple or, or more the average salary in the in the UK. Now this is anyway. seventy thousand euros for you to go out there and risk your life. By the way, let's not forget that. And by the way, this isn't me shooting down motorcycle racing because I no, work no. in the industry myself and I love it and it's my life and I live and breathe it. But it just. James Tosend and I were chatting about this on the podcast last week, and he said something's wrong here at grassroots level, and it probably goes back to the the tobacco sponsorship ban in 2006. Because our sport mm. lived on tobacco, didn't it? You had Camel, you had West, you had uh, Marlborough were involved very much in F1 with Ferrari, and all the other tobacco companies, British American Tobacco, the whole of the rest of them. It's been replaced in some ways by energy drinks, but it's nowhere near the same, is it? You know, I've heard stories, Tris, of when colleagues used to do press releases in MotoGP and there'd be a massive tobacco company backing the team and they'd have such a huge budget they'd be paying people thousands of euros just to do a press release or two over a weekend because they had that budget to allocate so they either allocate the budget to someone or it gets removed for the next year so whoever the middleman was oh we better use it on something that and it was a bit of a false economy I suppose the bubble did burst didn't it and then obviously we had Mm. the global credit crunch in 2008 as well where do we go from here then? I mean, how is there any way of solving this? I, I guess the only way to solve it, and this is very easy for me to say, would be the FIM to get together with the various organisers of the various championships and put some system in place. But where's the money going to come from? It's got to come from somewhere, hasn't it? One thing we do need to keep in mind is Dorna is doing a lot for for the sport and they're trying to put put a lot together with these talent cups especially mm. um i mean if you just look at the honda british talent cup the amount of money they spent especially on the first couple of seasons um getting all the kit in place putting everything in place um it's the only championship in the uk at the moment for for any young riders with prize money um yeah considerable prize yeah, money true. and prizes at the end of it and they get um, tires they, handed out to them as well don't they they get tires, yeah, and that's all sort of... MSVR is also helping out in that, which is good to see. But with that Dorna involvement and that Dorna, um, you know, really pushing it, I think we do need to be grateful for that because it's also not their job to do that. It's... it's We need to be... You know, I'm, I can only talk from um, from a side of um, the British racing scene because, um, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure what it's like out in... in you, know, you know, you see things and you hear rumours, but I can only talk from my perspective. And, um, you know, we can... Uh, we need to be grateful for them because they put yeah. a lot in for us. Um, when ideally we need to be doing that for ourselves, not waiting for you know for Dorna or the Spanish to do it for us. Dorna did that um, with the academy as well, the Movistar Academy they had twenty yeah. years ago, two thousand and one, two. Yeah, people yeah. like Casey Stone and Danny Pedrosa came up through there. And I mean, also we've got to remember the work Dorna and MSV and all the other series organisers yeah. are doing to get this show on the road at the moment because it's been a total nightmare. I was chatting with Gregorio Lavia the other day about the world superbike situation and you can't even imagine how difficult it's been the hoops they've had to the things they've had to juggle and get through to it's been crazy with this covid scenario and travel restrictions and uh, can you imagine i mean it's bad enough trying to organize a holiday or something which i haven't even done anyway because i wouldn't even want that's too much of a an issue anyway imagine yeah, trying to yeah. organize a a circus as this effectively is to go around the world flights and mm. hotel it must be a nightmare mustn't it the amount of equipment they get shipped across yeah. as well yeah. is um is, is an incredible amount and you don't realize until you sort of you go to the rounds and you see all the same stuff at every single round at every yeah different as though, as though it's by magic well. yeah some people get used yeah. to that don't they they don't think it's all yeah. been in massive traveling cases and on massive jumbo jets and you know the tires for example for indonesia Pirelli were telling me the other day they were sent out there in August for a mm. race that's happening in the middle of November 
And the Phillip yeah. Island tires normally for the end of February in a normal year, they're sent out the November before. That's how mm. far ahead they have to think. It's incredible. Madness. Absolutely amazing. Okay, well, let's move on because we've got, I don't know how long we've got left here. We've got about about 20 minutes left. So we've got quite a few categories still to get through here. Supersport 300 and the R3 Cup are done. I can cross them off my list. Let's go back to BSB and rattle off a few of the junior categories there. Okay, um, let's just cover off, first of all, the Ducati Tri-Options Cup because that's already been won. So um, with respect to those guys, we won't dedicate quite so much time to that in this podcast today. But it's been a tremendous season, having just passed the 10-year cutoff for the Tri-Options Cup. They're into their 11th season, I think it is now. John McGuinness, Chris Walker, they've really brought the series to the to the fore this year. David Shoebridge, Craig Neve, people like that. Some great, quick really good riders there and there's a mix mm -hmm. of gentlemen races and some really young superstars but it's josh day who's won it for the third time um and i think he's going to be in uh, british supersport next year with one of the new v2 ducatis i understand so watch out for that um national superstock tris we didn't we talked about supersport before but what about national superstock first of all i think we need to talk about taylor mckenzie and his retirement because that was a very emotional retirement wasn't it back at donnington the other day he'll be retiring at the end of the year i don't know whether he's going to focus on his youtube blogging or i know he likes a bit of tv commentary he's done some stuff with us at eurosport on world endurance um he'll no doubt be supporting taz who may well be in world Superbikes next year but uh that must have been a tough decision for taylor to have to make that yeah um it is a tough decision um it'd be a tough decision for anyone to make especially when i mean he will have grown up around bike racing. Um, he will probably will have started from a young age with um, with Neil pushing him on. Um, it's been a massive part of his life. Will have been all he's known for the past however many years, um, ten to twenty years, however long he's been he's been doing it. And yeah, his whole um, life basically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it, it is a massive decision, and it's something I'm sure he will have been thinking about for a while. It, although it might seem like it's come out of the blue, it definitely won't have done. Um, and even at the beginning of the season, it looked like he wasn't even going to ride this season. So um, it's definitely something he was, he was, uh, he had in the back of his mind. Um, and to go out with a bang, thirty um, first to first. Obviously, he's got got another weekend to to pick up some more results. But to go out on a high um, is how you want to end it. And it's not. Um, I, he he won't look at it as as an end. Um, just a um, a change of chapter. So he'll you know possibly be looking down other other um other ventures we've seen him doing stuff on on youtube and 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 um and with eurosport as well so that's possibly um, he'll he'll still be around the paddock that's for sure i mean um you know neil hasn't hasn't managed to leave the paddock and how long has he been re supposedly retired for um <laughs> it, it's not it's not really something that he's always going to be around it's always going to be a part of his life no matter um whether he's retired or not. And in terms of that championship, Tom Neve, Billy McConnell, Alex Olsen, 23 points covering the trio. I mean, it's Tom Neves to lose because the others basically need yep. to win that last race. Well, they do have to win the last race with those gaps. They've got to win it with Tom Neve not scoring. But anything can happen at Brands Hatch in the middle of October, can't it? Yeah, yeah, it can. Absolutely. And um, there's a lot of riders that are going to be very hungry for results at that last round as well. I know the, um, you know, the Aprilia boys with um, with Fraser Rogers on, they're going to be hungry for another victory. They've only had 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 one this year. Um, and we know that that Aprilia is a capable bike in that category. It's looked really strong with the last couple of ride, um, last couple of um, seasons. Um uh, so yeah, they're going to be looking strong. If it's wet, we can expect to see Lewis Rollo up the sharp end again. Who's Lewis Rollo's worth mentioning as well because he's um, you know was third in the championship last year and has struggled this year um, with chatter pretty much all mm. year on that Kawasaki. Um, moving from the Aprilia to the Kawasaki um, j just shows you. I mean, 
Morrell is an incredible rider, um, but and he's had some some big issues this year. But it does also just show how um, how good that Aprilia is. So British sidecars, let's just quickly touch on that because that's already been uh, decided this year as well in the favour of Ben and Tom Burchill. They've got a 109-point advantage going into Brands Hatch. Now, were you not commentating on the last race with that really weird incident at Donington when they actually went off on the warm-up lap, didn't they? Yeah, um, yeah I raced, I, um, I was uh, commentating for the, for, the, for the second race and yeah, there was a big crash um, through Starkey's on the warm-up lap, there was a massive crash, um, which isn't isn't something you used to see, and not the way that they would have want, would have wanted to. Oh, so there was a the crash race. through Starkey's because the one I saw was at Goddard's at the end of the lap, and the um, and the Birchels went off down into Goddard's. Was there another one that I've not seen there? That might have been race one, um, race race two. Oh, I see. There was another one on a warm-up. Oh, really? Because I just watched the um, yeah. the highlights back. I've not watched the full races yet. Oh, crikey! Okay. Yeah, I, I missed race one, so I missed that one, but I saw the. Um, the big moment up at uh, at Starkey's on the warm up lap. So what happened one. at but Starkey's? <laughs> was that like it was just it it was almost looked like a lack of concentration. It was just a bit of a they got a bit of a slide on and ended up on a, one side of the grass and then the other side and um and the outfit was wasn't in a very good way either. Oh, what a mess! The Birchers did go on to win that race. Then we yes, can confirm did, with yeah. uh, Blackstock and Rosny were second after their win in the first race. Paddy uh, Blackstock, uh, sorry. Um, Lewis Blackstock and Paddy Rosney. John Holden got third in the first race. I'm just seeing who got third in the second one. Oh, it was Robinson and Fairhurst. So there was obviously a, a very dramatic race there. I like the sidecast race. They get a lot of stick, don't they? But since I've been in the BSB paddock since 2017 and got to know Barry Nutley, I know a lot of people dish the sidecars and sell the drop oil everywhere and all the rest of it. But they're good fun, aren't they? And it's, it's more than just a sidecar driver and a passenger. It's a co-driver. Without the co-driver there the passenger there, that thing wouldn't turn. I mean, it's so different to anything else. That's what I like about it. It's like a cross between bike and car racing. It's chaos sometimes, though. And it must take some some real doing to be a passenger. Can you imagine doing that? Yeah, it's it's really... You don't realise how tiring it is until you have a go on it. Um, I've, I've never actually um, had to go on one of the big ones, mm. but I've had to go on one of the smaller ones, um, sort of 85cc things, two-stroke things, on, um, on a karting circuit. Um, <laughs> And I just got sort of put on it. No one told me how to do it or what the techniques are or anything like that. They just said, oh, just, just jump on this sidecar and have a go. And it, I, I was just genuinely screaming for a good five laps because it is, it's a lot more physical and it's a lot um, it's, it's a lot more than you realize. Um, it, it, is a, it is hard work. And I can only imagine what it must be like on those. Um, they're 600cc engines, aren't they? Mm, yes, on they those. are. Yes, they are. Uh, they're super sport engines, imagine. yeah. Oh, So good... 130 to 150 break i can only imagine how much um what the forces must be like on one of those things crazy isn't it okay let's move on to some more of the support categories then we've got to get on to world superbike because we're running out of time but uh, the british talent cut first of all some exciting news there while we've been recording you've just been checking online casey o'gorman has won that championship despite missing several races i mean he had five mm-hmm. races with no points at all not kale brands gp and thruxton and ends up winning it of course he's backed by Eurosport's very own Shaky Byrne and Matt Roberts. Incredible talent this season. Carter Brown missing out by six points. Evan Belford third, 29 behind. But Tris, some exciting news for Casey while we've been recording this show. Yeah, it's been an incredible, incredible season for Casey. Um, like we say, came back from that massive injury um, that he had at BB picked up at Knock Hill, um, which forced him to, to miss five rounds, uh, sorry, five races. Um, 
And he came back from a 91-point deficit that he had to Evan, um, came back across 91 points, uh, 60 that he had to, to Carter Brown as well. Um, wow. So, yeah, he came back from a long, long way um, and ended up winning it right at the end, um, Took was leading the championship by one point going into the final round and then topped every session that weekend, got the lap record and won both races. So it was a perfect, and won the championship. So it was a perfect weekend for him. And now it's been announced um, that he will, has been selected for the Red Bull rookies next year. So it'd be interesting to see what he does. I'm pretty sure he's doing the last final round of the European talent cup at Valencia later on in the year as well. So we'll keep an eye out for him on that. Um, so yeah, definitely a star of the future, Casey, an immense, immense talent. Um, and has come on really well this year. I think you can, Say last year his downfall was he was crashing a little bit too much, but this year he's had that really calm head, um, possibly with the influence that he's had from from Shaky Burn and, and Matt Roberts, like you say, and um, that's he's 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 been a much um, calmer rider this year. Um, unfortunately, that crash that he had with that big injury was was no fault of his own um, and was really unfortunate. But he came back and won it, um, and I I would say that um, the right rider deserved to win there was also some riders that you know really, really strong in that category Evan Belford was looking really good all year um, had a bit of a, um, a weird sort of um, a dry spell halfway through the year and then recovered towards the end uh, Carter Brown was always <laughs> it was always really entertaining when Carter Brown was in the mix um, I think there's riders to be looking forward to to watching next year as well that are going to be looking to pick up the championship and I think riders like Ollie Walker and, and Johnny Garness as well he's really looking towards next year and those are the guys who I think are going to be battling battling it out for it. there's a couple of other names in there that are going to be battling out for it next year as well so all stars of the future and um, hopefully um, with enough help from Dorna and stuff we'll see them progressing forward yeah Cormac Buchanan of course one to watch out for as well the rider from New Zealand who's um, raced to some great success actually over in New Zealand hasn't he before and he's been in the Red Bull rookies this year as well but not done all the Tanaka races which is why he's dropped back to 11th overall in the end but he would have been much higher up than that had he done all the races what's been interesting this year and you've commentated on a lot of the races I've commentated on a lot of the races alongside Neil McKenzie is that we've seen some of those light riders, Johnny Garness and Sullivan Mounsey, Keanu Vaya, people like that, absolutely flying off the line and often getting to the front, mm -hmm. don't we? Yeah. And really frustrating the guys behind. But of course, as the older they get and the larger they get, they're going to lose that advantage. Whereas others like Carter Brown, Belford, O'Gorman, they're really honing on their racecraft, aren't they? And that seems to be the really important key there, racecraft. Yeah. I mean, you, it, it's... Um... It's good in racing to be able to know your advantages and and to be able to use them to your advantage and to be and to to, you know, to use them to to win races and and or like blitz to the front off of the line and stuff like that. Um, so that's good for them to be learning because there might be a situation later down the line where you know like we're seeing at the moment at World Superbike where a big disparity in in straight line speed and and one's faster than the other and they can use that to their advantage mm. and perhaps not take as many risks throughout a certain set of corners because they know that they can just blast past down the straight and then that's that's in your head so um they're all learning they're all learning at the same rate they're all learning different things as well which is um which is always interesting um and i think that you know there's there's quite a few different teams in that category as well so um there's there's plenty of different areas that, that they're learning from um but yeah like you say the likes of carter brown and uh, Lucas Brown's another one of the the tall ones as well. Who'll probably be looking for a bit of a better season last year, uh, um, next year's rather. Um, they're gonna they they've really you can see them come into their own throughout some of the faster corners and during the wet when that little bit of extra weight helps them out. So they're both, I think both sides of it. There's an argument on both sides whether they're both learning to use their advantages or their strengths to 
to their best advantage. So, um, yeah, it, it's there's diff- two different ways of going about racing. Um, and neither of them can really control the reason why because it's just completely down mm-hmm. to the height. Just quickly, because we're running out of time, we'll have to get onto the superbikes in a minute. But we can't um, end this podcast without talking about junior. Uh, super stock we've spoken about junior super sport but junior super stock now we've worked on this quite closely haven't we across the season some incredible races i mean i'll never forget the opening round at alton park and the way for me that typified the season in many ways zach cordroy was incredible to watch i thought all year long because you never knew which way he was going to go and what was going to happen but jack nixon in that first round at alton park was picking them off remember the second race there the first one they ran wide at lodge didn't they and he took two for one and won the race um, but then he did the double and the way he won that second one at Alton, he picked them off from about fifth place and you could see him coming fourth, third, second, first. And he did it again a few other times across the season and he won in the end. Um, well, he's not won it yet. He's 13 points ahead of Joe Talbot going into the final round to have the advantage going into the last round. But they've fallen out, haven't they? They had a bit of a coming together at Alton Park once or twice. So they're not on speaking terms, I understand. You were telling me off air the other day. Um, and I'm not surprised because there were some dramatic lunges at Alton. But what an incredible situation going into that last round at Brands. And that's been a really exciting category this year. Yeah, that's been 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 really exciting. That was big. Uh, there was a big moment between Nixon and Talbot, the, the two championship contenders, tenders back at Alton. Yeah. Um, and I, I know, I'm pretty sure there was a there was a little bit of needle needle there. I'm I have sure to say that one, that one looked like Jack's now. fault to me. <laughs> I I think Jack Nixon's been fantastic, and he has been the best yeah. rider I think this year. But that one, that was a bit of a late lunge. I think even Jack would admit. I'm not surprised Talbot was annoyed at that one. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a type of racing that really lends itself to that, isn't it? Because we've seen that from many, many riders. Um, Eugene McManus has has done a couple of those, and um, Zach Cordero is <laughs> not not shy of a few ambitious moves, like we've said said in the commentary box a few times. He's um, he's always one to, to to look out for, and. Um, I think the rider I feel for the most is at the moment is George Stanley because he's just been so so close to getting that victory. It's just never quite happened for him he totally deserves it he's only got one one more chance well two chances at brands i mean donnington was his closest chance wasn't it really when he high-sided in front of nixon coming out of the chicane i couldn't but we were that was such a dramatic few seconds in that race wasn't it because we had cade favet and corduroy going down at mclean's didn't we in the contact that never was they didn't actually touch i don't think did they and then and then just seconds later george stanley high-sided coming out of the chicane i mean we didn't know which way to look next did we in that one no, it was, it was, <laughs> there was, it was one of those sort of moments where you're still sort of watching the replay from one race and then all of a sudden the camera changes <laughs> exactly. and you're looking at someone else in a gravel trap yeah. and trying to figure out what happened there. Yeah. Um, and it all happened all at once. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah. And then do you yeah, remember Silverstone? Do you remember the carnage at Silverstone? We had like seven all trackside after they all went down at Magnus. Yeah, it was just a, a case of um of of Carver, our director just constantly switching from different riders in gravel traps um and we were having trying to quickly uh quickly call who it was yeah and um, count and, was... and successfully count how many there were i seem to remember yeah. <laughs> yeah it's been a great category this year just quickly from a riding point of view when because you you were racing in that category at the start of the year once you get to that point trish you've come up through the order like fab racing or uh bemsey thundersport Club racing, fab racing is obviously the official feeder series, isn't it, to BSB? But you come up through the ranks, um, you maybe done a British Talent Cup, you know, junior super sport, something like that. By the time you get to junior super stock, you're on some pretty serious racing bikes then, aren't you? They're quick things and 
that's where setup changes also have a big effect, isn't it, in comparison with some of the smaller bikes? Yeah, uh, when you're um, you know, you're so used to the world of racing, um, you hear the phrase "little 600" being thrown around quite a lot, and um, which, in the grand scheme of things, when you've got the super bikes and stock thousands, and um, they are little 600s, but um, they are still extremely quick, extremely powerful machines for you know for the normal person anyway, and you don't. Um, you know, after spending, because pretty much no one really had any track time during the off season, because um, of COVID and and various other things. Um, and then when we got back on circuit, I completely forgot how how fast they are. Um, that's only a stock six hundred as well. The super sport will be a, a little bit quicker as well. Um, are the brakes are, are the brakes more very, sensitive very as well? Do you know on a superbike how they say one of the, one of the big problems these days is not just the acceleration but stopping the things. Yeah. Uh, what's that like in a stock six? Is that a big difference in comparison with a, I don't know, a junior supersport? It is, yeah. In comparison between something like junior supersport, yes, but you're also stopping more weight and at a, and at a faster speed. Yes. Um, so you don't notice. I personally didn't notice it as much, also because I came from the KTM as well, which had um, the strongest brakes on out of any of the 300s. So it sort of had a pretty much had a superbike brake, half a superbike brake on a 300, and it was the lightest. <laughs> so the KTM stopped really stopped really well anyway. But if you were coming up from one of the you know Kawasaki 400s or something to a to a super stock 600, you you would really feel the difference. Well, just a quick reminder to those of you who are listening. First of all, is if it's your first time, this is Full Throttle. Tristan Finocchio and Greg Haynes with you. Uh, subscribe if you can. Like the podcast. We're on all the uh, podcast suppliers. There's no point listing them all because there's so many of them. But we're out there now full throttle from eurosport all these races we're talking about by the way every single one of these support races at bsb is shown live on the eurosport app sometimes you'll see it referred to as the eurosport player so you can get that on your tablet your mobile device uh, and on your computer as well let's move on though tris because we're into the final few minutes and talk about world superbike and world super sports So, Argentina this weekend, let's get Supersport covered first because I'm not going to say it's all decided because it definitely is not. Stephen Odendahl put in a great performance to take that win in Portimao a couple of weekends ago. Uh, Agata finished fifth. It could have easily been seventh because Nicky Tooley and Rafael De Rosa crashed in front of him on the penultimate lap. And Odendahl on the Evanbro's bike has brought it back down to 54 points. Now, Agata's obviously the favourite, but it's not done yet and it could still go... It could still go back in favour of Odendahl, who led the championship at the beginning of the year. I don't know. If you'd put money on it, who would you go for? I think I'd have to go Agatha, but you never know. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think Odendahl's always been there or thereabouts and is always able to pick up the pieces. Um, I think if I wanted to be, if I wanted to um, sort of put an adventurous move on someone, I'd probably put my money on Odendahl because I think it's possible. Wow. But it's not quite there yet if you know what i mean they've definitely um, found something with that bike though haven't they because they've been a bit in the wilderness with setup over the last few rounds mm. and all of a sudden boom portimao yeah. he was back where we expected him to be on yeah. the sunday in particular i think if you were wise you would you'd, you'd go for um you'd go for agatha um of course he's also had a lot of success over in moto e this year as well um and he's missed a couple of rounds due to moto e as well hasn't he I think. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, he he had to. Or, he missed two. two races at Barcelona. Yeah, one round, yeah. two races. So that's you know fifty points that he's missed out on. Yeah, and he still was it fifty four points in the 54, league. Fifty four. Yeah. So um, yeah, he's been incredibly consistent, and then it does show. It does unfortunately show how quick these Moto Two boys are compared to um, can, compared to the Super Sport because they come over. We saw Lacatelli last year. Um, 
Agata this year. Um, Odin Dahl's also an ex-Moto2 rider. Um, so it tends to be the way these guys are going. Um, and um, so yeah, we do see a lot of the Moto2 guys coming over, but it could go... It could go anyway, but I, you would you'd probably go for a, for Agata on that one. Um, obviously, it also depends on how many rounds we're having because we still don't know. Yeah, let's hope. Let's really hope that this Mandalika thing happens. I was chatting with Dorna the other day, and they were saying it's either Indonesia or nothing. There won't be a backup round now in in mm-hmm. Europe. So let's just hope travel and everything is going to be okay, and that the track is going to be okay. There is an Asia Talent Cup event there the week before, which would have been the Superbike event. But I think basically what's happened is they've pushed it back. So it doesn't any longer clash with MotoGP in Valencia, but also it gives them that opportunity of using that Talent Cup round, doesn't it, to test out the circuit. So let's hope the um, Andalika track is okay. But I think it's in everybody's interest to be in the lead of the championship if you're Agata or Odendal or the Superbike riders leaving Argentina just in case but it would be terrible if we had a 1993 situation when they had a round in mexico uh, they got there and there was delivery vans crossing the track dogs on the track kids playing football all sorts of stuff they had to cancel it so it had effectively been decided at the previous round unfortunately we never got a finale that would be a terrible thing yeah. if that happens again um super sport then yeah find of the year in many ways manuel gonzalez he's third overall as the uh, former super sport 300 world champion and european talent cup champion super bikes then it is one of the best seasons we've ever seen isn't it for world super bikes there is no doubt about it 54 points between rasgatioglu ray and reading i would not want to put money on this i i think you'd have to say Toprak very much deserves the title, doesn't he? In the sense that his non-scores have not been his fault this year. He got wiped out by Gerloff at Assen, the alternator failure at Barcelona, and then the mudguard coming off in Portimao the other day. Incredibly unlucky. Jonathan Ray's crashes have been his fault, and he's had five crashes in races this year, which is amazing. But he's been put under massive pressure, isn't he? And all those crashes he's had have been the same. Front-end crash when he's either trying to keep up with or pull away from Toprak. So you have to feel Toprak has the advantage, but you can never, ever, ever write off Jonathan Ray as we've seen so many times before. We've never seen that from him before, that, that many crashes. He never makes a mistake. I mean, I think we, something we, we always used to say is he'd have these big moments, almost not quite Mike Marquez-esque, but he'd always have close moments. He'd always manage to stay on the bike. He was perfect. Like he would, he would do everything extremely well and everything to perfection, even, even saving big moments. Um, but this year he's been pushed to his limit and over his limit by, um, you know, mainly by top rack. Also Scott's pushed him a little bit. Rinaldi had had a couple of good runs as well, but he's been, you know, pushed all, all around. And I, I think, you know, this, um, you know, I think a lot of people are very unhappy at Kawasaki about the fact that they've, they've lost all these revs. Um, but at the same time, it, it's made for incredible racing yeah. and top rack is, is thoroughly deserved to be where he is. So unlucky to have, your mudguard come off, get caught under the rear, un, under your front wheel at the exact point you're on the side of the tire, going through one of the fastest corners on the circuit. No chance of that ever gripping, um, and you go straight down. So unlucky because if that came off down the front straight, would have just flown off. You wouldn't have known much about it. Probably would have noticed it, but it wouldn't have crashed. <laughs> the, the point at which, if if let's say it was five, ten seconds later, not even. He would have just flown off, and he wouldn't have known, and you know he wouldn't have wouldn't yeah. have felt a thing. Unbelievable. So it's it was incredibly un- unlucky for him. Um, but yeah, that's you know that is. Uh, I'm, I can honestly say I'm enjoying World Superbike this year more than more than MotoGP, which I haven't been able to say for 
years um and it's it's been really incredible this year um especially between jonathan and um and that, that little bit of um entertainment at the end where we had um top rack cleaning the, cleaning the side of the circuit and then jonathan um dirtying it again i was wondering if there was a link there if that was if that was just a tedious link but it was genuinely with there was um, a comment made after the race by jonathan as well where he was he confirmed that he was dirtying the track where top rack had cleaned it and so definitely some <laughs> um some needle going on between between those two I think but we've also seen a very emotional jonathan ray haven't we he admitted himself he was in tears after the sprint race crash and he seemed close to tears again didn't he He was almost in tears when he said that comment about i made the track dirty again which we heard in the podcast last week we've never seen if jonathan ray wins it again this year it's his best ever. And I said that in 2019 when he had to overcome the whole Bautista thing. This would be his best again. The guy, but he's been pushed to breaking point here or certainly near breaking point. And that yeah. win he had on Sunday in Portugal was a very emotional one. You could see how much it meant to him because top rack is something quite phenomenal, isn't it? What's your take as a, as a rider yourself having raced on the top rack thing? I must admit, I love watching the guy. I think he's an incredible talent. He deserves to win. It would be fantastic for the sport if he wins. Um, whoever wins deserves to win it I would also just say that mm-hmm. but did it go a little bit over the line with Portugal race one in particular because he shoved Jonathan Ray very very hard from the left hand side yeah. and I must admit I like the championship being shaken up. I like different winners I like the fight going down to the wire but that was a really hard bit of riding there wasn't it he almost intentionally meant to push Ray out of the way uh, you have a better um, a better memory than me greg um but personally i can't think of a time and superbike anyway that top rack has taken anyone out this year no that's a very that, that is a very or good point ever or ever taken anyone out actually i can't off the top of my head um there was that incident in that stock 600 race a long time ago Imola. between him and Imola between him and Ronaldo. Ronaldo. I was just about to say that, but even that wasn't like a, an overtake. That was top rack coming through Tosa, wasn't it? He had a moment, had to get off the throttle and Ronaldo ran up the back of him and ended up crashing. But uh, no, you're a very good point, actually, Tristan. I can't ever remember top rack diving up the inside of someone. I remember Jonathan Ray diving at the inside of Alex Lowe's and taking him out in Jerez. It's, yeah, it's been done. It, it, we've seen Jonathan do it um, once at least. Um, yeah, and I remember him you know, lunging I'm not, I'm not on, saying... on Tom Sykes in Qatar and Tom had to sit up. I mean, Jonathan is as hard as they come. Let's have no no confusion here. You know, Jonathan is a hard, hard, hard racer and he's generally been the best at everything over the last few years. Best qualifying, best starts, best pulling away in the first few laps, best overtaking when he's needed to do it. But he's met his match this year, hasn't he? There's no doubt about it. He's met his match. Yeah. um, Top Rack rides hard. um, And he said in multiple occasions that that's the way he rides and he's not going to change that. And I respect him for that. And he's not scared. (laughs) No, he's very entertaining on screen. Um, Maybe sometimes it does look like it's, it's, it's slightly over, but like we said, we've never actually seen him take anyone out um, or do anything that's caused anyone any harm. Um, some of the moves have been very hard with Jonathan, both from both sides, to be honest, though, you have to yeah, say, although Jonathan sort of dishes it back out because he's receiving. So he can, he can take it and he can, and he can dish it out, which is um, the good thing about Jonathan as well. Um, he doesn't just sort of, I think a couple of times we see with Scott where top racks made a hard move on Scott or, or even Jonathan's made a hard move on Scott. And you, you, you know, we've seen quite a few times Scott, 
a shake of the head on, on board that Ducati. And then yeah. it sort of, I think sometimes it gets to him a little bit because he's, he's very emotional and he's very passionate, which is, which is brilliant. And, and you know, why he's, he's very entertaining. Um, but I think sometimes that hinders him a little bit because a hard move sort of gets in his head and then he gets a little bit frustrated. Whereas Jonathan's more of a machine where if you upset Jonathan, on circuit he will just bite back straight away it won't turn into an emotional thing where he gets frustrated and loses time he'll just use it against you yes i think jonathan is a very emotional man but you're absolutely right it's he can separate it better than anyone else it's like a switch in his head isn't it and yeah. if and when he wins the title this year the tears will flow but you're absolutely right when he's on the track he's like okay all right if <laughs> if that's the way you want to play my friend that's the way we'll play yeah but crikey what a show it's been, though. It's unbelievable, mm. isn't it? They're mm. taking lumps out of each other. Can Reading do it, then? Reading said, I need the other two I to wish. hit trouble. I mean, you're a half Italian. You must would love the idea. You would surely love the idea of a, the thought of a red Ducati winning for the first time mm. in 10 years. Mm. But even Scott is saying, I'm going to need other things to happen. He's got to just try and win the last six races, hasn't he, and hope the other two do take each other off or something, which is possible, actually. Yeah, I mean, watching from the sofa... Um, like I have done all, all, all this year, it's, um, you know, I'm watching with my family. It's very much been um, us, us supporting Scott and wanting Scott to do well because it's very, very Italian family. With the, <laughs> and I'm pushing and pushing on Ducati. Can Reading do it then? I mean, you never know, do you? You never know. And then you've got what I've been calling, I hope it doesn't sound disrespectful, but the B side riders, the B team riders, because they are, aren't they? They're, they're 229 points behind the leader. Rinaldi, Locatelli, Lowe's. In fact, Vandermark's got between them now and up to sixth because Alex has been injured. But that's a great fight too. And Rinaldi and Locatelli are absolutely equal still on points. They were going into Portugal. They were coming out. That's a really fascinating little scrap for me as well. Who's going to get mm. the best of the rest position? Yeah, that's um, yeah, like you say, that's that's an interesting one. I mean, we've seen um, with, with those sort of positions, well, you've got obviously the top three that just sort of slightly above the rest. Every now and then you see another name in there. Um, and then that, like you say, the battle for the rest has just been between anyone, isn't it? The Hondas have looked better towards the end of the season. Um, I know you're very much backing them because you've been singing their praises for, for a while and they've only just started coming good now. Yeah, um, I have actually. Well, but I think everyone has. Everyone's been saying with that HRC involvement, they're going to be bringing things on and we're going and you know we're going to see it soon obviously Leon Cami is you know very got a very methodical head on him as well um and we've all been waiting for that to happen and I think it's starting to happen now but I yeah. think there's just a few fundamental issues not sure what they are but I think there's just a few fundamental issues that they've been trying to get over I think the problem they've had is they've come back in in 2002 you said I'd unlimited testing and all the rest of it and you haven't got that anymore and sure enough where have they mm. done well Barcelona mm. and Jerez they had a test before both of those races so it's not a coincidence and then they carry that form into Portugal I think the Covid things hit them badly as well because there's a lot of new parts to try and come in from Japan which haven't been able to come over or haven't been able to come over on time because of the whole travel chaos going on with Covid so, uh, yeah, it feels like they're slowly getting there now. But it's been a bit of an embarrassing season. There's no doubt about it with Honda. But, um, of course, they're going to have an all-new lineup probably next year. So that could uh, change, shake things around again as well. But, yeah, I think the paddock are wary of Honda. But they need to get it together. They, they have this sort of methodical approach, don't they, where every single part has to go through a rigorous sequence of departments to be put on the bike. They can't just throw something on and try it. And that's definitely slowed them as well because they don't want to be seen as being, you know, impetulant or unreliable in any way. So it has to go through this sequence of events. 
But yeah, they're getting there, aren't they? They're getting there. And I hope for the sake of the championship, they're up there next year. It would be great if Honda did win a race this year because it would have meant that all five manufacturers had actually won races. Yeah, and on the flip side of the coin as well, you've got BMW that are also in a very similar position to um, to Honda that are tra- throwing a lot of money at their projects and trying to make, and trying to get their bike um, up the sharp end because I think um, you know I think it's safe to say it's not quite um, a Yamaha, Kawasaki, or or Ducati. It's probably a similar level of of the Honda. Um, and what's going to be interesting is to see how how Scott develops that bike, having ridden a bike that is you know on paper better. Um, Results-wise, um, it'd be interesting to see what his involvement will be on that as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for everything, Tris. We've got through all twelve categories we've all been covering this year. It's amazing how many of them there are. One final thought for you: You're going to be at Brands Hatch. I'll be commentating in Argentina World Superbikes. Uh, you'll be at Brands for BSB. What are you most looking forward to this weekend? Uh, I've got to say, um, Junior Superstock. Um, because there's that battle to the that's going right down to the wire and that between Nixon and Talbot. Um, but you can't take your eyes off of the off the big street. You can't keep your eyes off of BSB because that can go absolutely anyway. And that's going to be extremely interesting because also the no idea which way the conditions are going to go. Um, Gino Rear, we uh, got to give a shout out to him because he had a brilliant ride back at Donington and he could do really well um, if there's um, in good in bad conditions or in good good conditions so um, there's a championships to be decided so looking forward to that and um, hopefully some great racing as well yeah and I think I'd have to say Jeffrey Bowers is somebody I'm keeping an eye on in World Super Sport I think it'd be great if he could go to Argentina and score points top 10 would be really good so fingers crossed for Jeffrey he can do that and then yeah I'm most looking forward to seeing how this amazing scrap continues between Ray, Razgatioga and Reading, everyone is on the edges of their seats at the moment. It feels like the whole world is talking about World Superbikes and that's absolutely fantastic. We'll be live. There's no free practice this weekend. Uh, so unfortunately, we don't have the satellite signal provider. They don't show live free practice anywhere for the non-European rounds at the moment. So that's out of our hands, I'm afraid. But we will be live from Brands Hatch, first of all. And then the evening, of course, for Argentina. James Tozen and I will be commentating uh, same again on Sunday. Tristan will be commentating over on Junior Superstock, as he said. Uh, are you doing anything else this coming weekend, or is it just Junior Superstock this time? Uh, to my knowledge, at the moment, it's, it's uh, just Junior Superstock. Okay, so let's see. I'll be listening out for you there, and potentially anything else you might crop up. Well, obviously, the uh, Talent Cup's finished now, hasn't it? So that would explain yeah. that. Trace, have a really good one. Thanks for the podcast, and uh, we will speak to you all from Brands and Argentina over the weekend. The podcast, we will be back next week. <laughs>